Good morning. How can you do better than that? Come on. Good morning. Hey, that was much better. Welcome. Welcome this morning. My name is Jamie Borchick. I'm uh, one of the preaching pastors here at Park, and uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, this morning, I especially want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time. This morning, we're kicking off a new series called Explore God where over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at seven big questions that people often have about, about God, about faith. And uh, we're not doing this alone. Uh, today, there are 815 churches across the city of Chicago that are doing the same thing. So we're joining together in hopes of kind of sparking a citywide conversation around these questions. You can see them up here on the screen behind me. So if you came in today because you saw a sign on the CTA or you saw an ad on Facebook or because a friend invited you, uh, we're really glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us for this series. And however you got here today, if these are questions that you've ever asked yourself, I want you to know that you're in good company here. These are questions a lot of us ask at different points in our lives. They're questions that I've wrestled with both before I became a follower of Christ and then in my adult Christian life, um, as I've gone through during some profound seasons of, of doubting, um, wrestling with, is there a God and how do we know? And uh, asking those questions myself. And so um, if you've asked those questions, you're in good company here. And uh, please know that I would love to sit down with you, have a conversation about some of this stuff. If you've got questions, uh, I think a lot of this stuff is better addressed in a conversation than it is in a sermon or in a, a message from up front. And so would love to sit down and talk with you. So please reach out at any point during the series if you want to talk more about these things. And because we know that these questions surface a lot more questions, one of the things we're going to be doing over these next seven weeks is at uh, the end of the service, we're going to have some time set aside to answer questions that you might have. So there's going to be a number on the screen behind me that you can text questions into during the service. And anything that you're wondering that you want more clarity on or, or things that uh, you take objection to that you want a response to, please send them in and we'll do our best. A few of us will be up here afterward to do our best to try to give you a, a helpful answer in some way. So uh, you got that there. Now I need to say something about how we're going to go about this Explore God series. When it comes to religious belief, it's common to talk about, on one hand, those who believe in God, and on the other hand, those who do not believe in God. Like some people have faith, and other people don't. But in reality, uh, everyone has faith. To not believe in God is to believe that there is no God. And that is a position of faith in the absence of God. It's an alternate belief to belief in God. Uh, it's, it's an alternate belief to belief in God. It's the belief in no God. And it's still a belief. You tracking with me on all this? Okay. So the reality is that you cannot prove that God exists and you cannot prove that God does not exist. As frustrating as it sometimes can be, proof on that kind of metaphysical, cosmic level, proof does not exist. It's not available to any of us. We can't pull back the curtain on the universe and see what's really out there. We don't have that luxury. That's not available to us. But what is available to us on this side of that curtain is a series of evidences or data points or clues that we can look at. And what all of us do as we go through life is we take those evidences, those data points, those clues, and we, we, we try to piece together a story that makes the best sense out of the information we have available. 
We look at our experiences, the things that we've seen and done in life. We do research. We might read books or watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts. We take all that stuff and we look at it. And and we say, based on the information that I have available to me, this is what I believe. This is the story I'm putting together that makes sense out of it for me. Now, some of us do more and better investigating than others do. But all of us, we look at whatever information we have and we draw conclusions based on it. That's how we form our beliefs. And none of us, at the end of the day, has certainty about what we believe. None of us has an airtight proof that will always persuade anyone that we put, we put that proof in front of them. Anyone who hears it is going to believe. None of us has that. What we have are degrees of confidence based on how strong or weak we think the evidence available to us is. And so in some ways, it's like we're the lawyer, the judge, and the jury in a trial all wrapped up in one. We gather evidence for a position, then we try the case, and then we determine whether the evidence is enough to convict. That's how we go about it. And we're not unbiased in all this either, because at the end of the day, the outcome of our investigation has really significant implications for how we live our lives. But in the end, we all believe what we believe because we've taken the the data available to us, and we've tried to come up with the story that best explains it. That's how we go about it. And so as we go through this series and we look at these seven big questions, we're not going to be trying to prove to you that Christianity is true. We're not going to offer proofs. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually hold up some of the alternate beliefs that people have, and we're going to look at some of the evidences that are available, and we're going to see which story makes the best sense out of the data available. And our thesis as we go through this Explore God series, our main claim in it, is that that when all is said and done, when you look at the big picture of it, the Christian story makes better sense out of all the various data available to us than any of the alternatives. That's not going to be a proof, but it's an argument that Christianity makes enough sense to be believed. Christianity makes enough sense to be believed. And so with that little introduction, that gives you kind of a preview of where we're going over the next seven weeks. It's going to be kind of a comprehensive case that we're going to lay out. And with that introduction, now we're going to dive into our first question today. That's the question, does life have a purpose? And I want to start by reading a passage of scripture that gives voice to the question that we're asking today. And so if you have a Bible with with you, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, I failed to look up what page that is on in the house Bible. So if, uh, if somebody's got that, you can shout it out. But um, if, if you don't have a Bible, those house Bibles that are in the back, those are our gift to you too. We want you to have one, so take it with you. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's read it. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea isn't full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. 
What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Would you pray with me before we talk about this? Father, thanks for this time this morning to, to dig into some of these big questions. I pray that as we talk, you would, you would bring help to people. Um, God, as we explore you, as we think about these things, God, I believe that you're there and you hear us, but I know there are some here today who don't. And so I pray that your voice would speak, that you'd make yourself clear. And, and wherever people are at coming in this morning, I pray that they would hear something that would help them in their spiritual journey. So we ask that you would speak now, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all on a quest for purpose. Studies reveal that around three-fourths of people around the globe said they often or sometimes think about the meaning and purpose of life. And even if, if you don't think about it a lot, most of us think about this stuff. And when we think about it, the reality, when we're looking at the question, the meaning and purpose of life, the reality is that answers can be hard to find. I think this is why you too saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And why John Mayer said, something's missing and I don't know what it is. Jay-Z put it like this in his song, Beach Chair. This is what he said. Life is but a dream to me. I don't want to wake up. 30 odd years been about having my cake up. So I'm about my paper. 24, 7, 365, 366 in a leap year. I don't know why we here, since we got to be here, life is but a beach chair. Chair, chair, chair. It's right. my best, best Jay impersonation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what, what Jay is saying, what Jay-Z is saying is that he doesn't know why we're here, but since we're here, let's get that money and let's, let's make, life is a beach chair. We're going to enjoy this thing while we got it. And while Jay's life might be a beach chair, that's certainly not the case for everyone. So I think uh, young Brad Pitt captured the sentiment well in this great scene from the classic movie Fight Club. Y'all remember that? Uh, this, is, this is what Tyler Durden said. Stand in a room full of men who are about to beat, beat the stuff out of each other. <laughs> he says, we're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war. No great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that here, so. <laughs> but for better or worse, we're all on a quest for purpose. The late German philosopher Martin Heidegger argued that the thing that distinguishes humans from all other living things is our capacity to put our own existence into question. What he meant was that your dog doesn't walk around wondering why he exists. But you and I do. Why am I here? What's the point of my life? Does life have a purpose? And the way I want to get at this question this morning is through a little extended thought experiment. What I want to do is I want to look at this question through two different lenses. 
two different worldviews to see what each one gives us when we approach the question of purpose. So first, what I want to do is I want to assume a secular worldview. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that there is no God. God does not exist. On secularism, does life have a purpose? And and what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you an answer and then I'm going to support it. Not with my own words, but from some other thinkers on this who hold that position. So if there is God, if there is no God, does life have a purpose? And the answer is no. And yes, but mostly no and and still sort of yes. So, So let me explain what I mean by that. If you suppose there is no God, if, if you suppose a purely naturalistic understanding of the universe, then the story of us is that we evolved due to a series of accidental collisions of atoms over the course of many, many millennia. That's how we got here. We are an evolutionary accident. We were not planned by anyone or anything beyond us. And so objectively, we are not here on purpose and life can have no objective purpose. No purpose with a capital P. Now that may sound harsh, but I'm not making this up. The famed uh, atheist biologist Richard Dawkins once summed it up this way. He wrote in his book, River Out of Eden, There is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. More recently, uh, Jerry Coyne, who teaches biology down at the University of Chicago, he said it like this. Cosmology doesn't give one iota of evidence for a purpose or for God. Secularism does propose a physical and purposeless universe. What you see is all there is, and there is no purpose to it. That's what he's saying. So these are secular thinkers who are quite, quite clear that if there is no God, then at bottom there is no capital P purpose. We are a cosmic accident. We're the result of pure purposeless chance and nothing more. Life is short and then you die. This is the story of us. Now a few generations ago in the 20th century, many writers were brutally honest about the implications of this fact and the despair that they felt in the face of it. So, for example, Albert Camus said that human life is absurd. Jean-Paul Sartre wrote that man is a useless passion, and he spoke of the nausea of existence. Ernest Hemingway wrote, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And Bertrand Russell wrote that the reality that all human labor, love, and genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, great way to put it, he said, that results in the unyielding despair of the soul. So these thinkers, these 20th century thinkers, were honest about a deep despair they felt in the face of the dirty trick of a purely accidental existence. Now in our day and age, this isn't something that we're encouraged to think about all that much anymore. The age of Sartre and Camus and Hemingway and Russell, that age has, has largely passed. And the despair that they felt has largely been replaced with the secular optimism that we met earlier in the words of Jay-Z. I don't know why I'm here, but since I'm here, life's a beach chair. I'm going to enjoy it. So check out what the late Harvard scientist Stephen Jay Gould said on this point. 
He said that though the fact that there is no objective meaning or purpose in life is superficially troubling, if not terrifying, it is ultimately liberating. We must construct those answers for ourselves. There is no purpose, and that fact can be downright terrifying. But once you get past the initial horror of you being a cosmic accident, then you're free to create your own purpose. So in other words, without God, life becomes one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. Do you remember those from when you were a kid? So so the way it worked is uh, you're reading the book, and periodically throughout the story, you come to a point where you can pick what page you're going to go to next. And you, you as the reader, get to choose the way the story is going to play out. You get to make the decisions. And there's no, ultimately, no right answers. There's no right preferred uh, plot line. So you just make your decisions along the way, and you watch the story play out. It's your adventure, so you get to choose whatever you want it to be. And that's how we're encouraged to treat purpose in our lives today. There are no right answers. It's your adventure, so you get to choose. So here's Jerry Coyne again, the U Chicago prof. He says, although the universe is purposeless, our lives aren't. We make our own purposes, and they're real. So right now, my purpose is to write this piece, and then I'll work on a book I'm writing, and later I'll have dinner with a friend. Soon, I'll go to Poland to visit some more friends. Maybe later, I'll read a nice book and learn something. Sounds like he's got a pretty nice life, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Soon, I'll be teaching biology to graduate students. Those are real purposes. So for Coyne, and and for many others, life is a choose-your-own-adventure story. You choose your purpose, and that purpose is real, even if we do live in an overall purposeless universe. So if you assume there is no God, does life have a purpose? Well, in the sense that Coyne and Gould are talking about purpose, yes, it does. You can have purpose. But it's purpose with a small p. You can have created purposes of your own making. And I'll be the first to agree with them that those little p purposes are very real. Writing a book, having dinner with a friend, visiting loved ones, relationships, that that kind of stuff, those are very real purposes. Those things matter, and they can bring a profound sense of meaning and significance to someone's life. We all need those things. We need those small p purposes. They're very real. But all of these thinkers, they freely admit that, that, that there is no big P purpose. And you can say, well, well that's fine, Jamie. Those little P purposes, those, those serve, me, serve me well. I'll stick with those. But there's some major problems with only having those little P purposes. And there are a number of things I I want and could say here. But for the sake of time, I'm going to stick to one. See, for most of our lifetimes, the prevailing messaging that we've heard from our culture has been that of people like Stephen Jay Gould and Jerry Coyne. We've been told, essentially, that there is no God. And so you get to choose your own adventure. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we've been taught. But I think that as many in our day have heard those messages and have tried to live that out, what we found is that it's not always all that wonderful. A few weeks ago, the Chicago Tribune ran a story by Don Rhodes with the title, I Think People Are Sadly Used to It. The story told about a recent series of suicides at Northwestern University. 
And I don't know if you know this, but nationally, suicide is now the leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. The U.S. suicide rate is at a 30-year high, up 24% since 1999, and it's still rising. This is a generational epidemic. And at Northwestern in particular, in 2018 alone, last year, four students took their own lives. There have been nine in total since 2013. Now, I've worked at Northwestern since 2012, working in campus ministry there. And I've known some of those students. And I've known lots of other students who have thought seriously about doing the same thing. Now, think about Northwestern students. These are the best and brightest kids in the world. They are brilliant and gifted. They're future leaders and influencers in society. Many of them come from tremendous privilege. And they they could have gone to school anywhere. And out of all the options in front of them, they chose Northwestern. They are poster children for living your own adventure. They're doing what they've always dreamed of doing. They're doing exactly what the Jerry Coins of the world are telling them to do. And yet so often, They feel this profound sense of despair right in the middle of their adventure. And while I think there are lots of reasons for that, but I think deep down, so much of the despair that they and so many others feel is driven by the pressure they feel to choose their own adventure and not screw it all up. Because In the Choose Your Own Adventure narrative, it's all on us to look deep down inside of ourselves to find what we want to do or to be or to make of our life and then bring it out to the world for validation and acceptance and approval. We have one chance, one chance to find the right purpose for our life. And if we pick the wrong one, God forbid. And the pressure not to mess up that one chance to choose your own adventure, that can just make life feel unlivable. We don't have a capital P purpose for living. And so especially for young people, when all those lowercase p purposes fail us or disappoint us or let us down, where else are we going to go? There's nothing left. The great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy struggled with this issue himself. At the height of his career with fame, success, fortune, family, with all of it. He he wrote a book called A Confession. Where he talked about his his contemplation of suicide. When he realized how how empty it was. How it didn't work. His choose your own adventure wasn't working. And this is what he wrote. He said, one can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober. It is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. Our culture trains us to create our own purpose, to build our own adventure. And that works so long as we're intoxicated by life. But when we sober up and we think deeply about it, we can't help but see that it's really just a fraud. And this is where I want to turn us back to the text we read earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an ancient wisdom text that explores the question of meaning and purpose in life. And there are two voices in the book. The first is that of the author. 
The author introduces the book in chapter 1, verse 1, and then he offers a conclusion at the end of chapter 12. And in between that introduction and conclusion, the author uh, compiles the words of another character who he calls the preacher. And what happens in Ecclesiastes is is that this character, the preacher, goes on a quest for meaning and purpose in life. He tries all the little p purposes that we we so often go to in our quest for purpose. He tries pleasure, relationships, sex, money, learning, work, achievement, success. He tries all those things. And the first words out of his mouth in chapter 1 verse 2 are his summary of what he discovered on his quest. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The word translated vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. And it's a word that shows up 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's really the key to understanding the whole book. It often gets translated with words like fleeting or vain or meaningless. But its actual basic meaning is is this idea of breath or vapor. It's like what happens when you you exhale on a cold January morning outside. It's like seeing smoke rising from a fire. And the preacher says that life is like that. It's like smoke. It's here for a moment and and then it's gone. It rises up and it takes one shape and then it takes a new shape and and then it just disappears. It looks solid, but, but when you go to try to grab it, it just slips through your fingers. And when you're surrounded by it, when it's all around you, it can be really disorienting and confusing. That's what life is like. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. And the reason he says that is because the preacher has gone on this quest for purpose and it's turned out to be a wild goose chase with no goose. In the poem of chapter one that we read earlier, he talks about the unceasing march of time. Our lives are like but a blip on the radar screen of history. We live, we work, we die, and the world keeps turning. The sun rises and sets, rises and sets. The wind blows around and around and around, and then it blows again. Rivers run into the seas, but the seas never get filled up, and the rivers just keep running, and the world just keeps turning. And in the end, the preacher says in verse 11, There is no remembrance of former things, nor nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Time will inevitably erase you and me and everything we care about. How many of you can tell me the names of any one of your great-great-grandparents? I mean, those people died less than 100 years ago, and pretty much no one in here can tell me a name of even one of them. That's not that long ago in the grand scheme of history, and yet all of those people are totally forgotten to us. And that's what will happen to us 100 years from now, too. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. The preacher tried all the things that so many of us try in our quest for meaning and purpose. And his conclusion is that everything is hevel. None of it lasts. None of it satisfies. None of it provides the kind of meaning and purpose that we need in life. You know, the preacher sounds an awful lot like that older generation of secular thinkers like Camus and Russell and Sartre. Here's the point. If you assume there is no God, 
You can choose your own adventure and you can live for your career or your family or for pleasure or for learning or for whatever. And that can be real and it can get you by on your journey from nothingness to nothingness. But in the end, time and death will erase all of it and the earth will just keep spinning without you. If you assume there is no God, you can have real purpose in life. But it's real in the way that smoke is real. It's there, but it's thin. It's vaporous. It's hevel. And as soon as we sober up and we see it for what it is, it leaves us in despair. So on secularism, does life have a purpose? Well, yes and no. It has created purpose, but it doesn't have objective, substantive, big P purpose. It can't. But there is another option. Suppose instead that there is a God. For the sake of argument, just assume it today. Suppose that like the Bible claims, there is a God who made this world and who made you and me. Well, then what? Does life have a purpose? Well, in that case, everything changes. If there is a God, you are not a cosmic accident. You were intentionally, deliberately created. You're not the chance product of accidental collisions of atoms over many millennia. On the contrary, you're the product of the intentional action of the creator and maker of all things. And if you were created on purpose, then you were certainly created with purpose. And this is a purpose that comes from outside of you. It's not something you have to create. It's something that for which you were created. This isn't an adventure that you choose. This is an adventure that chooses you. It's, it's from outside of you. It's given to you. It's bestowed upon you. It has claims on your life. It's like this. The finest violins in the world are those handcrafted instruments from the 17th century Italian craftsman Antonio Stradivari. Stradivarius violins are, are reputed to have a quality of sound that has been impossible to replicate. And they're rare. There's only about 650 of them that remain in existence today. And when they go on the market, which they occasionally do, they sell for millions. Uh, one was listed in 2018 for $45 million. Right? Like these things are crazy expensive. Now imagine that you got one of these violins. Somebody gives it to you. You have it. Now there are all kinds of things you can theoretically do with the Stradivarius violin. Right? Like you can hang it on your wall as art and let people look at it. You could lock it in a case and you could hide it under your bed so that no one takes it. You could use it for firewood. You know, you, it's a cold night. You need some heat. You just burn it on the stove. Great. Uh, you, you could give it to your kids and let them use it as a sled. Go down a hill on the thing. It'd be really fun. Right? Like there are lots of things you could use it for. But none of those things is what a Stradivarius violin is for. You see, a Stradivarius violin is an instrument that was created on purpose for a specific purpose. It's not just a random piece of wood that happened to grow off the side of some random tree. It's a carefully crafted instrument with a specific purpose. And that purpose is to make beautiful music. That's the reason that that violin exists. And a Stradivarius violin is never more glorious than when it's living its purpose in the hands of a virtuoso who plays it. A Stradivarius' violin's purpose is to make beautiful music. And if there is a God, then like that violin, you and I are not just random pieces of matter that happen to grow out the side of some random evolutionary tree. 
No, we are carefully crafted instruments with specific purposes. And we are never more glorious than when we are living those purposes in the hands of the master craftsman virtuoso, God himself, when he's playing us. If there is a God, then you are not an accident. You were made on purpose, and your life is all about finding and living that purpose. Look with me at the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 9. Here at the end of the book, the author speaks up and he summarizes the book as a whole. And then in the final two verses, he offers his summary of the real capital P purpose of life. Verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Someday, he says, God will clear the smoke and right every wrong and set the world right once again. And in the meantime, there is one thing that is not hevel, one thing that is not smoke. There is one thing solid in a smoky life, and that is to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In other words, this is what we were made for. This is why we exist. This is our purpose, to fear God, to have a reverence for him, to take him seriously in our lives, and to keep his commandments, to follow him and to do what he calls us to do. In other words, we are God's instruments created so that he can make beautiful music out of our lives. That's why we're here. And so if you assume that God exists, then objectively, you do have purpose with a capital P. And this is really what belief in God offers you that, secu- that a secular view can't. Belief in God offers you far more substantive grounds for having a purpose in life than secularism ever can. It offers you an objective purpose that goes over and beyond any created purpose that you would come up with for yourself. And the Christian story takes it further than that too. See, the ancient Greeks have this word logos. And it's a word that literally means logic or reason. And the Greek philosophers understood the logos to be the rational principle by which everything existed in the world. For them, uh, it, it was the reason for life, the capital P purpose behind the universe. It was the logos. So they didn't necessarily believe in a god or gods, but they believed in the logos. And they thought that if you could understand the logos of the universe, then you could understand the logos of your life, the purpose of your own life. And then you could line your life up with the logos of the universe and live the life you were meant to live. Now the Gospel of John is one of four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And it was originally written in the Greek language. And I want to read to you how John begins that gospel. These are the opening lines of John's gospel. He said, In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then later on in verse 14, John says, And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is saying is that the Greek philosophers were right. There is, in fact, a Logos. There is a capital P purpose for the universe. But that purpose is not some abstract concept or principle that can only be discovered through deep contemplation. That purpose is actually a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You see, the claim of the New Testament is that fundamentally, you and I were made for a love relationship with Jesus. 
And when you have that kind of love relationship, then you actually connect with the purpose of the universe as a whole and you can discover the purpose of your life. See how different that is from what the philosophers in John's day proposed? They said that there is a capital P purpose, but only those who are smart enough or patient enough to contemplate the Logos sufficiently can discover it. But John says instead that the Logos put on a body and he moved into the neighborhood to come and find you. There is a capital P purpose, and it's available to anyone and everyone who will receive it. And you see how different that is from what the philosophers of our day propose? They say that you need to choose your own adventure. There is no capital P purpose, so you have to write your own story and come up with your own purpose. But John says that instead, the purpose of the universe created you with the purpose of knowing him. And he created you and he gave you an adventure to live. So at the end of the day, what this leaves us with is a choice. We have a choice to make about purpose. And if you're on a quest for purpose and you see your need for it, then you have two options before you. You can choose your own adventure and create your own lowercase p purposes. And those purposes will be real, but they'll be real the way that smoke is real. They will get you through life on this journey from nothingness to nothingness, but they won't last beyond this life and they won't be grounded in anything beyond yourself. But your other option is to instead allow the adventure to choose you. And to receive the capital P purpose offered to you by the God who created you. Then and only then can you find substantive purpose both now and forever. So here's the point today. Belief in God in general and Christian belief in particular offers you a far more substantive and significant purpose than you can find anywhere else. That doesn't prove that God exists but it should make you at least want God to exist. And next week, if you come back and join us again, that's what we're going to be talking about. So come back for that. But for today, let me put on my pastor hat for a minute to close. I know there are some of you here who came in today wondering if your life has a purpose. And what I need you to hear today before you leave is that it does. It absolutely does. It actually has a far more glorious purpose than you've probably ever dreamed. Whether you believe in God or not, I need you to hear today that there is a God who created you and who loves you more than you can imagine. And despite all the things that may have happened in your life to tell you that you don't matter, despite the things that have been said and done to you, despite the times that you feel worthless or alone, despite all of that, the very fact that you were created, the fact that God put you in this world is evidence that you do matter. He made you and he made you for a purpose. And he loves you so much that even when you've been far from him, maybe because of things you've done or because of things that have been done to you, he loves you so much that he keeps coming after you. The Logos became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus came into the world to tell you that you matter to God so much that he was willing to give his life to prove it to you. Your life has a purpose. And the way to find it begins by getting to know Jesus. And the more you get to know him, the more you can line your life up with the purpose of the universe and in turn discover the purpose of your own life. And the more you know him, the more you'll get to experience the beautiful music that he'll play from your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reality of who you are and for the... Uh, 
the fact that you are the creator of all things. Thank you that because of you, we have purpose. Objectively, there is purpose in our lives. I pray for those who came in today doubting that, uh, struggling with whether or not their life has a purpose. I pray that you would minister to them now, that they would hear these words, they'd hear your voice, they would know they're loved, that they're beautiful in your eyes, and that you love them and you want them to experience the purpose for which you created them. Would they experience that today, oh God? I pray for those who are, are questioning whether this uh, may be real or not, that you would um, meet them and help them find answers to the questions they're thinking about. And I pray for all of us, God, that we in our lives would be like that Stradivarius violin in the hands of the virtuoso performer. God, would you make our lives sing for you? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks uh, to our musicians up here. Great job today. Thanks so much for leading us there. Um, y'all can take a seat. We're, we got a few texting questions we're going to answer. I've got my friend Parker Setacase up here with me. Um, Parker's one of the smartest dudes I know. And uh, so anything that I don't know, he, he does. So you can, uh, he's a great resource for us. If you've got questions about any of this stuff, you can come talk to him. And he and I are going to do our best to try to answer these questions. Is there another mic up here? Can we grab that one, Joel? Thanks. Yeah, so we, got, we have five questions that were sent in, and we're going to take our best stab at these. So uh, can you throw them up there for us, guys? All right, here's the first one. I'm going to give this one to Parker. What's the difference between what God says our purpose is and what most of us think our purpose is? Yeah. Is that, is that working? Is that... There, you no? go. there you Ooh, go. There wow. you go. Okay, all right. Yeah, so what's the difference between what God says our purpose is and what most of us think our purpose is? Depends on what most of us think our purpose is, right? But I think we can make some generalizations here, um, at least in, in this country. So let's start with America, right? In America, our view of our purpose is a lot of what Jamie said, I'm, I'm going to get mine. Right? Like, I have potential. I live in a country where I'm safe. Uh, I've been given lots of resources and opportunities, and so I need to make the best of that. I need to, to honor my parents. I'll, I'll go to school, and they, pay, they help pay for it, or, or whatever it is. I need to make the most of my potential, and God's here to help me get there. Right? Like God, he's viewed as a genie a lot of times. He's going to help me get mine. And I think the way that, that God's purpose for us is, the, the, the way that we get it from the Bible, is that, man, everything turns on God. Everything is about God. And so you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. That's not your car. That's not your money. This isn't my shirt or my wedding ring. It's God's stuff. And I belong to God. Right? And so my purpose in, in life is to glorify God. God's not peripheral. He's not on the side helping me. Everything turns on him. I think that's a biblical notion of, of God's purpose for us. Thanks. All right, next one here. Who we got, guys? Isn't God selfish for making our purpose to glorify him? So this kind of builds on uh, the last question. Um, I think what I'd say on this one is, well, if, if you or I, like if I, if I had kids and I said to, you know, if I say to my son Trip, like, hey, kid, your purpose in life is to make me look good. Um, that's going to be a crushing weight that's going to totally destroy him, right? Uh, <laughs> I think I just made myself look worse than I intended by saying that. I think that's what I just said. <laughs> um, but that's, this can be a burden on him that's not fair to put on him. But, 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 but when it comes to God, if God is the greatest thing in the universe, like if he, if he is the greatest, 
When he creates us, it's not because he has a need or a lack and he's trying to fill in some deficit in his own life. Um, he's actually, and this is kind of the biblical storyline, like God is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed in perfect relationship with one another from eternity past. And so there's this kind of divine dance where, where there's the goodness and the joy and the love that God experiences within himself in the Trinity. And when God creates, he, he creates to spread that, to share it, to invite others to join in that dance with him. And so if the best thing that God, the best thing in the universe is God himself, then the best thing he can offer us is himself. And the best thing that, he, that, that we can do is to participate in that. Just because it is, by definition, the best thing. And so for me, it would be selfish. But for the best thing to say, hey, this needs to be the best thing in your life too, it's just the right thing. All right, here's the next one. Purpose with God is no doubt more comforting than purposelessness without God. But does the fact a thought is more comforting make it true? Um, this is a great question, and I was kind of hoping someone would ask it because I didn't have room for it in the actual message. So um, t- two things that I'll say to that. One is that uh, is no. I mean, the thought that something is more comforting does not make it true. But at the very beginning, one of my uh, introductory comments on this was that um, we're not going to be able to prove that this is true. And so I wasn't making a case today that this is, uh, that this capital P purpose is true. What I was saying, I was offering it to you. I was saying, hey, this is available. If there is a God, this is available to you, and you should want to take it. What we're going to do over the next seven weeks is we're going to build toward that case, yes, it is true. It is really there, right? And so this is a comprehensive thing you've got to look at from a lot more angles than just the conversation today. So really, this is an invitation to come back and keep engaging in this conversation. Um, And if it turns out, so that's the first thing. Like, I'm offering it to you. I'm not proving it. I'm offering it to you. The second piece of it is that if it turns out that at the end of this whole thing, uh, it is true, then you don't really have an option about taking it, whether you want it or not. Um, if, If this is the purpose of the universe, if there is a God, then this is the purpose of your life, whether you want it or not. And you need to line your life up with it. So those are the two answers. All right, next one. If I struggle with same-sex attraction or have a surgery that changes my physical appearance, have I gone against my purpose? As Christians, how do we communicate purpose through these type of situations? Yeah, and, and this one's uh, obviously loaded uh, right now. This is going on in the culture. It's like a, it's like a landmine. Um, and there's a lot of hemming and hawing that we as Christians tend to do. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Uh, right off the bat, I'm going to say yes. It, it goes against your purpose, but it's not uniquely... Um, it doesn't uniquely go against your purpose more than any other sin does. So a lot of times as Christians, we think that's them. That's, that sin is icky and gross, and that's going against your purpose. It's, it's unnatural, and we, we don't look at ourselves. And so if God is the ultimate purpose, then anytime we sin, we're going against our purpose. Right, the Bible says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Anytime you're not living up to that, you're not fulfilling God's purpose for you. And so I think we can diffuse this by saying, hey, look, it's not, a, it's not unique in the sense that it, it, it uniquely earns hell for you. Right? This is the whole Christian message that we are all, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in this context, we can say we've all, we've all fallen short of the purpose of God, which is to be holy. And so if I've, if I've um, it's up here, if I've uh, 
have changed my physical appearances, or if I struggle with same-sex attraction, have I gone against God's purpose? Yes. Same as if you've committed adultery. Same as if you've ever told no lie. Same as, as all of the sins. Um, and so you're not in a unique place that you're beyond God's grace. Um, and as Christians, when we answer this, uh, it's a unique opportunity for us to acknowledge that, yes, we've done the same. We continue to go against God's purpose. That's why we continue to need the grace and mercy that's offered in the gospel. Yeah. All right, la last question. Uh, is the fullness of joy received in the Lord Jesus? Is he himself the Christian's joy? Um, yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, yeah, if, if what we're talking about today is, is true, um, th then yes. Uh, man, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Um, he, he wants the best for you. He's a good, good, good God. A good, God is a good father who loves his children. Uh, Jesus came to give his life as a gift, to give himself as a gift to us. And um, just from personal experience, man, like I, yeah, I've <laughs> lived for a lot of things in the course of my life, had other things that have been my joy. And those things disappoint me and let me down a whole lot more than Jesus ever has. Um, he has satisfied, I think of Pascal talking about uh, the, the God-shaped hole in our hearts. Um, I tried to stuff a basketball into that hole for a lot of years. And a lot of shots went through that hole, but none of them could fill it up. It just wasn't big enough. Um, but when I, when I came to faith in Christ, that filled that hole and gave me a satisfaction and a joy that has sustained me and given me life uh, through lots of things since then. So that's what I'd say. Yeah, and, and to echo a lot of that, um, what Jamie said today about purpose and meaning, it's, it's actually, it's inescapable. To say something uh, is meaningless presupposes that there is meaning in the universe. So all of us are forced to have some kind of meaning and purpose, to, to believe in that in some regard. And, and Christ, as the complete fullness of joy and purpose, if, if that's what we've been made for, then when we follow him, we're living the purpose for which we've been created. And as Jamie said, I've experienced the same thing in my life. That setting my whole life, not on myself and using Christ as an aid or a crush to get more out of life, but setting him as a standard for life and trying to get more of him through living, has been, it's, it's brought fullness of joy. That's what it means.